0: Hey guys, you're listening to Web of Wicked.
1: We're a mother-daughter duo that bond over true crime. I'm Erin, I'm the mom.
0: And I'm Kayla, I'm the daughter. On this podcast, we cover some sensitive topics, so listener discretion is advised.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to Web of Wicked. The story we have for you this week is really going to open your eyes to how the system set up to protect children ultimately fails way too many of them. Oakley Carlson was one of those children. At just 7 months old, Oakley was removed from her biological parents and placed with foster parents. They gave her a safe and happy home and loved her more than life. They hoped to adopt her and would have given her a life full of happiness and love. But with very little notice, after being with them for more than two years, she was ripped away from them and reunified with her unstable biological parents. DCYF closed the case pretty quickly after that, and the children were left to their own devices with unfit parents. It wasn't until there was a mysterious house fire that it was discovered Oakley was missing. As you probably noticed, we've been doing a lot of cases centered around children the past several weeks, And I know that these cases can be hard on the psyche of even the most dedicated true crime fans. I know Kayla's certainly more than ready to move on. So after this one, we're going to switch gears. But this week is Oakley's week. So I'll turn it over to Kayla for the details.
0: Yeah, I'm ready to move on from these cases. They are emotionally draining. To begin telling this heartbreaking story, we're going to start in Oakville, Washington. Eric and Jamie Jo Hiles were high school sweethearts and went on to get married when they were 20 years old. Both of them dreamed of the day they would become parents. They loved kids, so much that they were both teachers. But unfortunately, after years of trying to get pregnant with no luck, they had to look into other options, such as adoption. But they had faith that their dream of being parents would come to them when the time was right. At the end of July 2017, Jamie was contacted by a former student of hers. This student asked Jamie if her and Eric could foster a 7-month-old baby girl. The student told Jamie that this baby and her siblings had been placed into foster care after drugs were found in their parents' home. The parents' names were Jordan Bowers and Andrew Carlson. The baby girl was Oakley Carlson. The Hiles didn't hesitate for a second and took this baby in. The Hiles were under the impression that they could eventually legally adopt Oakley. Their dream was finally coming true, and they couldn't be happier. Oakley was born December 6, 2016. She was one of five children in the home. Andrew and Jordan each had one child from previous relationships before meeting. They then had three children together, a daughter in 2015, Oakley in 2016, and later a son in 2019. Jordan was often unemployed. She was a convicted felon. Andrew was a former police officer, but in 2017, Andrew was caught making false statements, so he was fired from the police force. After this, he worked on and off, more off than on. Around this time, both Andrew and Jordan were using drugs, with their drug of choice being meth. This is when the children were removed from the home. The three kids they had together were placed into foster care, and the kids they had separate from each other were put into full custody of their other biological parent. It was in September 2017 that Oakley was finally in the home of Eric and Jamie at 9 months old. They quickly became the perfect little family. She was showered with love in their home and grew up calling Jamie mom and Eric dad for the two years she was in their care. In Oakley's eyes, they were her parents. They were all she knew growing up. Jamie reported that Oakley was the biggest blessing to their family, and her and Eric often questioned how they got so lucky with her. Now this is a true crime podcast, so we know things aren't all rainbows and sunshine, and sadly, this fairy tale came to an ugly end. They spent a beautiful year with Oakley, and in the end of July 2018, the Hiles put in a plan to officially adopt her. During this time, it did not look like Jordan and Andrew were going to get custody back of any of their children. They were both still actively using drugs, didn't have stable jobs to support their children, and were still running into legal trouble. Andrew was arrested for domestic violence against Jordan, so definitely not a safe place for children to live. Andrew was court-ordered to complete a domestic violence class to have the charges dropped, but in May of 2019, DCYF, which is Department of Children, Youth, and Families, was notified that he failed to come to these classes. During this time, Oakley was still having supervised visits with her biological parents. So they were giving positive drug tests and they were still allowed visits with her? Um, well, that's where it gets a little confusing. The child services case files never released any of that information, so we don't know. But at the end, we'll find out that there was physical proof that they were definitely still using drugs around the kids. That's crazy. Who was even supervising the visits? Doing my research, I found like multiple names of different caseworkers, so it seems like they were kind of just sending anyone that was available to the house, not a consistent caseworker all the time. Yeah, that's where things really get screwed up. When you don't
1: have a person, like a regular person that's coming that gets to know the child and gets to know the family, they can't as easily pick up on when little things are starting to go wrong.
0: Yeah, so it's like just all different people are assigned, so it's easy to miss certain little things. Definitely. But after one of the visits, Oakley came back to the Hiles' home with scratches on her face. Jamie emailed a caseworker about the marks on her face. But the caseworker seemed completely unconcerned and emailed Jamie back, saying she was on vacation. Now, let me just touch on how much this aggravated me. Her literal job is to protect these kids. If she was on a vacation, she should have emailed Jamie back with another person in the office's number to contact or contact another person in the office herself. Or ask the person who is supervising these visits how Oakley got these marks. Something. But nope, this lady just couldn't be bothered while she was on vacation. Yeah, that's so aggravating. I don't know.
1: You see it happen in a lot of these cases where children's services is involved, though.
0: Yeah, and this case will make your blood boil because of how bad child services failed this little girl. This little girl should have been way more protected than she was. It definitely sounds like a case where this could have been avoided. Yeah, she kind of just slipped through the cracks. Shortly after this incident, in July of 2019, the Hiles were informed that Oakley was most likely going back to her biological parents soon. How this is even a thought absolutely disgusts me. These parents, and I use that term lightly, were active drug users. They were unemployed and clearly have a toxic relationship, and Child Services wants to give them back custody. Andrew couldn't even be bothered to complete a few-week-long class for his domestic violence charge, but they think he's responsible enough to be a parent to a toddler. Obviously, the Hiles were devastated and terrified by this decision, especially because they were under the impression that they were going to be able to adopt Oakley. They knew that it wouldn't be safe for her to go back to Jordan and Andrew. Shortly after being notified of this in July, their supervised visits started becoming more regular than before. They went in for a meeting with the DCYF supervisor to express their concerns, especially after being ignored about the marks on Oakley's face. At this meeting, Jamie reported they were told, quote, she's not your daughter, unquote. When they expressed concern about Jordan and Andrew not even being employed to provide for the child, they were told, quote, being poor isn't a reason for someone to not have their children, unquote. So clearly this caseworker and supervisor were extremely cold towards the Hiles. I understand that being poor doesn't mean you can't have a child, but there was a lot more going on in this situation besides the lack of employment. Yeah, I understand that there's definitely a problem
1: with caseworkers being overworked and underpaid, but that doesn't give them an excuse to have absolutely no empathy for these foster parents. And it sounds like they did everything right for Oakley, so there was no
0: reason for them to be treated like that. Yeah, I mean, this whole case you'll see, like, these caseworkers just act like they can't be bothered. Like, they have bigger and better things going on than listening to this foster parent call them. Yeah, it definitely sounded like it was very, very
1: tilted towards giving them back to the biological parents than worrying about the kids' safety. I think that in the recent past, it seems like they're really, really concentrating more on reunifying the kids with their parents when maybe there are some cases where this isn't the best idea.
0: Yeah, definitely. And once again, the Hilos were left feeling like their very valid concerns were being dismissed. So on October 19th, Oakley had an unsupervised visit with her biological parents. A week later, she had another one. After that visit, she came home to the Hiles and told them she saw her mother, Jordan, hit Andrew. She reenacted how this happened and said that Andrew was being mean like RAR. Aww, that's so sad. That's how a little two-year-old would explain this fight. Yeah, so clearly the violence is still taking place in this relationship, and now even in front of little Oakley. Jamie immediately emailed the caseworker that Oakley told them this, but got a response basically saying that they had no concerns regarding the living situations with Jordan and Andrew, and that Oakley loved them. Did something happen where they had something against these foster parents?
1: Because it seems like they were really against, they didn't want to listen to anything they had to say.
0: Um, nothing, like, reported happened, but I think they kind of just viewed Jamie and Eric Hiles being foster parents that were to do anything to get their foster kid back, and maybe thought they were making false reports. Okay, so they thought they were, like, lying or exaggerating, but
1: obviously with what happened, their concerns were very real and should have been listened
0: to. Oh, Yeah but basically DCYF is siding with Jordan and Andrew for whatever insane reason and not the people who are actually giving Oakley a safe home. A month before Oakley's third birthday, Jamie and the caseworker had a discussion and Jamie was told they were actually speeding up the process of putting Oakley back in the care of Jordan and Andrew. Why they want to place this child back in their care so badly blows my mind. Let's remember, Andrew is fired from the police force, arrested for assault and an active drug user. And Jordan was obviously being violent towards Andrew in front of Oakley. They ended this discussion telling Jamie that Oakley would be taken from their home and placed back with her biological parents November 29th. Only 23 days notice. The heartbreak the Hiles must have felt hearing this is a pain many of us will never understand. Jamie and Eric had been raising Oakley for the past 26 months, and they were only given 23 days' notice that she was being taken away from them, I have no words. I know child services is a very necessary resource, but in this case, they've royally screwed up. On November 29th, the day after Thanksgiving, Oakley was officially transitioned into the home with Jordan and Andrew. They lived in a rundown farmhouse on a 300-acre property near Oakville, Washington. It was pretty much in the middle of nowhere. Their other children were also back to living at this property with Oakley.
1: Wow, I think it's even worse that they lived in such an isolated area. It really doesn't sound like they had many social connections. I mean, they had no jobs that they were going to regularly. They obviously didn't have any close neighbors that could notice things. School was probably the only contact with the outside world that these poor kids
0: had. And was Oakley even old enough to be going to school? No, she wasn't, but her older sister was in elementary school. We will talk about her in a little bit. So a year went by, and God only knows what went on during that time. But on December 25th of 2020, Oakley was four years old. The family spent Christmas Day at her grandparents' house, Fred and Kate Carlson. Kate later reported to police that when they saw her that day, she didn't look well. She had dark circles under her eyes like she wasn't sleeping, or possibly even a black eye, and had scratches on her face. Kate said that she told DCYF about this, but never heard back. So yet again, concerns about Oakley are being ignored, even coming from another person other than the Hiles. This was the last time Kate and Fred ever saw Oakley. On January 26, 2021, Jamie Hiles contacted Child Services again about her many concerns. Even though Oakley wasn't in their care anymore, they were hearing many rumors about Jordan and Andrew. One being that she saw a picture of Oakley at Grandma Kate's house that past Christmas, and it definitely looked like Oakley had a black eye in this picture. She also heard through the grapevine that Andrew was fired from his most recent job for drug use. She got a response from them basically saying that she didn't see these things for herself, so they would have to assume that her information was inaccurate and that she could get in trouble for making false claims. Jamie replied back to this caseworker, saying that she was a teacher, which makes her a mandated reporter, so he needed to take her concerns seriously. So now with no choice at this point, the agency sent a caseworker out to Oakley's home the next day, January 27th, and then again on February 10th. There was no reporting on what took place during these meetings, but they were able to make contact with Oakley and her siblings. This visit was the last known sighting of Oakley. On March 24th of 2021, DCYF called Jamie and Eric and asked them if they had seen Oakley recently. Jamie told them she had not seen Oakley, as they were not allowed to by her biological parents. Her bio parents didn't want Jamie or Eric to carry on any relationship with Oakley. She was then just left to wonder what was going on and why they were calling her because they gave no other context just asked her if she'd seen Oakley and that was that. I can't even imagine getting a phone call like that and then being
1: left with absolutely no answers. Why were they calling her saying, "Oh, is Oakley with you?" "No." "Oh, okay, never mind." She was probably going crazy wondering what made them call her and why. I mean, did they lose Oakley? What was that about?
0: Well, yet again, DCF doesn't release any of their reports, so we don't exactly know why they called in March. But, you know, it's kind of ridiculous that DCF gave this woman no time when she was the one expressing concerns, but then they have the nerve to call her like, oh, do you know where your previous foster kid is? And then just hang up. That's just so
1: strange to me, especially given what ends up happening.
0: Yeah, and a few days after this phone call to Jamie, DCYF closed their case about the concerns regarding Oakley, and the visits from the caseworkers to the home stopped. But the reasoning of closing this case so quickly was never reported. I'm really not sure how they closed the case after just calling her in March, but they did. That's so strange. Yeah, how do you call a previous foster parent asking if she knows where the child is and then just close the case days later? Something just isn't adding up with this DCF office and their workers. So now we're going to jump ahead a little. Seven months later, on November 6th, 2021, Andrew Carlson made a phone call to 911 to report a fire. He said the fire started on the second floor of their home around 10 a.m., but he didn't call until 4.55 p.m., so hours after the fire started, he finally calls 911. Not suspicious at all. He blamed the fire on Oakley, saying she was playing with a cigarette lighter and lit the couch on fire. Andrew proceeded to tell 911 he didn't need any firefighters to respond because he took care of the fire himself. He just wanted to make sure he had the report on file for insurance reasons. So they started a GoFundMe to raise money to pay for the damages done to their personal items and to restore the home. It's reported that despite the damage done to their home, the family along with the children continued to live there. We will link some pictures on our social media of the damages done to the home, and you'll be shocked that these people had children living there with how bad it was. But to paint a picture for you that are just listening, everything was covered in black soot. Literally everything. In pictures, you can see light bulbs completely melted, looking like icicles hanging from the ceiling. Everything plastic in the home was melted like blinds in an AC unit. Windows are cracked and broken from the blaze, and any furniture in the home was basically just ash at this point. Jamie and Eric emailed DCYF after hearing about this fire and how the family continued living there, expressing concern that the children should not be breathing in those fumes, but she never got a response from them. At this point, I'm thinking DCYF just thinks she's a previous foster mom making exaggerated claims to get Oakley back, but not listening to the Hiles was their biggest mistake. The other children attended Oakville Elementary School, and after the principal, Jessica, heard about the house fire, she went to their home to bring them some supplies. This was about four days after the fire. She was there for about 45 minutes and said the house is a complete disaster, not cleaned up at all. She asked about how Oakley was doing, and Jordan and Andrew told her she was in her room, so she didn't get to see her. Two weeks later, Principal Jessica went back to the home to bring even more supplies. This time, she only stayed for about five minutes. She saw the other siblings, but no sign of Oakley. The teachers in the school were also getting suspicious about Jordan and Andrew around this time and expressed their concerns to Jessica. Jessica knew the family's history with child services, so none of this sat right with her. Jessica decided she should try to get the inside scoop, so she set a playdate up with her daughter and Oakley's older sister, since they are around the same age. And to respect the privacy of Oakley's siblings, we're not going to be saying their names. So on Saturday, December 4th, Oakley's 6-year-old sister came over for the playdate. Not trying to pressure the young girl, Jessica just nonchalantly was asking about her siblings. When they got to the topic of Oakley, she told Jessica, quote, Oakley is no more, unquote. Jessica asked her what she meant by this, but the six-year-old became extremely upset and started shaking. Not trying to push her any further, she just told her it would all be okay and got the girls calmed down and ready for bed. Oakley's sibling slept over that night, and the following morning, she told Jessica that Oakley went back to living with her foster family because, quote, she was so bad, unquote. Jessica was pretty positive this wasn't the truth, so she called the sheriff's department to ask if Oakley was back with the Hiles. When he checked their records, he informed her that no, she was not. Jordan and Andrew probably just told the siblings to tell people this when they asked about Oakley. Wow,
1: that's really messed up to mess with little kids' minds like that and tell them to lie. I know, that's like, traumatizing. These kids already seem like they had been traumatized in many different ways already. This just is another thing to add to the pile.
0: Yeah, and these kids were clearly just all over the place in their short span of life already. So they're probably so confused on what was going on. Yeah,
1: when you think about it, they got taken out of the home for a couple of years. And they were put in different places, not together. That's very confusing. Then they were all thrown back together at different times. Oh, poor kids.
0: Yeah, they were just completely all over the place. But at this point, she knew for sure something was extremely wrong here. So the next morning, which just so happened to be Oakley's fifth birthday, she called the sheriff to do a welfare check on Oakley. At this point, Jordan and Andrew were living in a hotel. Officers made their way to this hotel, and when Jordan answered the door, they asked to see the children. Only Oakley's little brother was in the room, and the older sister was at school. When they asked her where Oakley was, she stated, she's with her mom. Officers then said, aren't you her mom? Clearly caught in a lie, Jordan didn't know what to say. She finally stuttered out, uh, yes. So then they asked Andrew, who was also at the hotel, where Oakley was. It took him a minute, but suddenly he remembered, oh, Oakley is with my father, Fred. Officers asked for Fred's phone number and address, but he told them he didn't know his father's phone number and address off the top of his head. Clearly, the officers weren't buying this story either. Who would? So it gave Andrew no choice but to cough up the phone number. When they called Fred, he obviously told officers he didn't have Oakley. He told officers that Jordan and Andrew cut off all contact with them and that they actually haven't seen Oakley since December of 2020. That was that Christmas visit they had at their house, almost a year ago at this point. He told officers that Jordan and Andrew cut off all contact with them after him and his wife Kate called Child Protective Services on them about the dark circles under Oakley's eyes and marks on her. So then, officers went back to the hotel to talk to Jordan and Andrew, who were separated now for questioning. Jordan became angered by their questioning and told them she will not be talking to them and went back into the hotel room the exact opposite response you'd expect from a mother whose child is nowhere to be found. Officers stuck by the hotel and waited to see if Jordan and Andrew would leave at any point, which eventually they did. While they were waiting around, they saw their vehicle in the parking lot and noted that there was only one car seat in the car, when they had three young children, two of which definitely should be in a car seat, one being Oakley. Officers followed them to their home where the fire happened. Upon arrival, they attempted to question Jordan again and got the same angry response from her, but this time, her reaction was so enraged that she was arrested for obstructing a police officer. When questioning Andrew, he made odd remarks to the effect of Oakley being dead, so he was also brought to jail. Police didn't really state exactly what he was saying, but in their statement, they said he made remarks to this effect. So he didn't actually confess to anything? No, it wasn't a confession. They, like, he was insinuating it or something? Yeah, they never reported exactly why they said that. That's what a lot of this case is. Like, not the exact quote-unquote what was said and done. Jordan and Andrew were both being held for suspicion of first-degree manslaughter. Once they were booked, police got a search warrant for the property where the fire happened. Remember, a 300-acre property. This 300 acres was full of dense woods with a few fields. It's reported that when police searched the inside of the home, they found clothing and toys for all of the other children living there, but none for Oakley. There were no clothes that would fit a 4- or 5-year-old, almost like she's been completely erased from the house. They also found blood spatter on the front door and a bloody handprint on the wall of the hallway. But after a significant fire taking place in the home, I'm not sure how useful this evidence was, but investigators still took samples to be sent off to labs. The police also called in a fire investigator. This fire investigator determined that the fire started in the microwave in the kitchen, not the couch like Andrew reported on that 911 call, which is something so odd and weird to lie about. I don't know, I think they were gonna try to use the fire to explain why Oakley disappeared, or something. Yeah, I think that's why he insinuated, like, Oakley started the fire. Yeah. To, like, place her in that home, when she probably wasn't even there. Yeah, what were they gonna say? Oh, she internally
1: combusted, or something, and just disintegrated, and poof, disappeared? Or, in the confusion of the fire, she disappeared into the woods and was never seen again, but they didn't bother to report. They called a few hours later about the fire, but didn't report that their daughter
0: was missing after the fire? Oh, yeah. Exactly.
1: Mm, That's the meth mind.
0: Yeah, these people think they're smarter than police. (laughs) The search of the property was going to take some time since it was so big, so during this time, they had Oakley's siblings come in to be interviewed. The older sister, the one that had the sleepover at Principal Jessica's house, first told police that she does not have a sister. When police asked her what she meant by that, she said Oakley was her sister, but she hadn't seen her in a long time, but she couldn't give them a specific date. I just want to point out here that this little girl was only six and I imagine it was extremely confusing to begin with since Oakley did live with the Hiles for around two years and she wasn't with her during that time. But anyways, back to the interview. She then told police that her mother, Jordan, told her not to talk about Oakley. She added that her mother told her Oakley was bad and went out into the woods of their property and was eaten by wolves. She then started to cry. I hate this woman. She's evil. She is evil. She's so manipulative. Telling her kids to say this story, that story, they have no idea what to even believe. Well,
1: never mind the fact that obviously one or both of the parents did something to Oakley something horrible. But then on top of it, you're manipulating and traumatizing the other kids over and over again with all these lies and scary stories about getting eaten by wolves and, oh, Oakley was bad, so she disappeared. So you better not be bad because it might happen to you. That's just cruel.
0: Yeah, and exactly. These kids probably are wondering where Oakley is, but they're being told, don't you dare talk about it. Don't talk about it. Like, swipe it all under the rug. What they did to these kids is just unforgivable. I also want to note that this sibling only talks about Oakley in the past tense, which is kind of odd itself. (laughs) Yeah, obviously she's been missing a lot longer than since the fire. Oh yeah, for a kid to talk about somebody in the past tense, it's been some time. Yeah. But then police moved to interviewing Jordan's 9-year-old son from a previous relationship, so Andrew wasn't his biological father. He said that he hadn't seen Oakley in a long time also. He reported to police that he had seen Jordan beat Oakley with a belt, and she would lock Oakley in a closet. This closet was apparently under a stairwell. He also noted that Jordan and Andrew would starve Oakley. Both siblings also told police that when the November house fire happened, Oakley hadn't been in the house to begin with. In fact, she hadn't been there in quite some time. So both these kids living in the home paint a very clear picture of abuse and neglect taking place for who knows how long. And it seems like Oakley was the kid that took the worst of the abuse. The other kids didn't seem to be abused as severely, at least they didn't report that they were. I read somewhere that this is called the Cinderella phenomenon. It's basically when a parent zeroes in on one kid and leaves the rest alone, which seems like this is exactly what was happening to poor little Oakley. Maybe they resented her because she grew so close with her foster parents to the point where she referred to them as mom and dad, but who knows.
1: Yeah, I've definitely heard about things like that happening. That's really not that uncommon. One kid being treated way more severely than the others. I bet you it probably had something to do with the fact that Oakley's foster parents fought so hard for her and kept reporting. Maybe they took that hatred for the foster parents out on Oakley? I don't
0: know. Oakley was also around three years old at this point. I have a three-year-old, and I know if she was ever taken from me wherever she went, she would be crying for me, saying... Mommy, I want my mommy. And I'm sure Oakley was doing that, crying for Jamie and Eric because she grew up so close to them. And that probably pissed off Jordan and Andrew that she was crying for them.
1: I can imagine the first thing I thought of when I heard this story was your daughter, my granddaughter. And I just know how she would act if she was separated from you from any length of time. At the end of just you going to work for a few hours, she's already... Where's mommy? Where's mommy? Even though she's having a great time with whoever's babysitting her. This poor little girl was being treated horribly and abused, so I can imagine she was constantly saying, I want my mommy, I want my daddy, because that's what she called Eric and Jamie. And yeah, I'm
0: sure that just enraged Jordan. Oh yeah. But anyways, back to the story. Police obviously contacted Children's Services about what was currently happening. So they yet again contacted the Hiles, asking them if they had seen Oakley. Yet again, she explained that she hadn't seen Oakley since she had been removed from their care on November 29th, 2019. They then asked them if they'd be willing to take in Oakley's two-year-old brother and Oakley again if she was located. They obviously told them yes they would. They're very lucky that they said yes they would after the hell they put them through. Oh, definitely and this gave the Hiles false hope that they were getting their baby girl back while also being blessed with a second child. Jamie reported that she immediately went out and started buying all the necessary things she'd need to bring a 5-year-old and a 2-year-old into their home. It never occurred to them at this point that Oakley wasn't going to be found. So basically, the caseworker didn't even explain the extent of what was going on to them. What did she make it seem like? Like they
1: left her with some family member or something and they just had to figure out where she was? I
0: think so. Wow. Because then shortly after this, the Hiles found out from a friend that Jordan and Andrew were being investigated for possible manslaughter, their worst nightmare. Knowing this, it became too difficult for them to care for Oakley's little brother, so he was placed in foster care along with the older sister. And then the siblings from the previous relationships once again were placed back with their other biological parents. Wow, so they got
1: custody back of those other two kids again, too? I didn't even know that.
0: Oh yeah, basically when Oakley went back to them, all the kids did. They just threw this whole family back into Jordan and Andrew's care. Oh, I didn't
1: even realize that. I thought only the three kids that were biologically Jordan and Andrews together came back to them. I didn't realize the other two had come back full-time also. That's weird. Yeah. Taking them away from their other biological parent unless something was funny with them too.
0: Yeah, and that's not reported. And all I can think of this is DCYF trying to keep all the siblings together, which is something they try really hard to do. Yeah. Sounds like it, I guess. Just doesn't make sense. And I think that's why they were giving the Hiles such a hard time about having Oakley, because it was their mission to place her back with her siblings. Yeah, sometimes that's just not the best answer. No. So after this, police continued their search of the massive property. They brought in divers for the ponds, canine dogs, large machines to dig in certain areas, and helicopters. They even widened their search for the surrounding properties but could not find Oakley anywhere. The last credible sighting of Oakley was on February 10th, 2021, when that caseworker made her last visit to the home. That was almost a year before police started this investigation. There was no evidence that Oakley was alive after that visit. No one had seen her. But with no luck finding any evidence of Oakley being murdered, the 72-hour hold they had on Andrew and Jordan was coming to an end. Oakley's older sister's new foster parents contacted law enforcement saying that she needed a certain medication for a health issue she had. They hadn't received the medication when she was put in their care. When police looked into this, they were told that she hadn't received this medication in over a year while in Jordan and Andrew's care. I couldn't find exactly what her medical condition was, but this medication was crucial to her health. Going without it puts her at risk of physical impairment, which could eventually result in death. So clearly, Jordan and Andrew were neglecting her medical care. So with this, they charged them with abandonment of a dependent person. The manslaughter charges involving Oakley were dropped for now because of lack of evidence but they were able to keep them in custody on these new charges. On December 13th, police announced that the search of the property was over. They weren't able to find any sign of Oakley or any evidence. They had only spent about seven days searching over 300 acres. To me, that means they could have missed something, but I'm not an expert. At this point, they were still waiting on the blood spatter results to come back but in doing my research, I never found out if they were even usable after the fire. On January 20th of 2022, Jordan and Andrew received additional charges. They were both charged with two counts of endangerment with a controlled substance. This happened because after DCYF found out Oakley's older sister wasn't given her medication for a long period of time, they had the kids go in for a full checkup. This included taking some hair samples for analysis. This testing showed that both children had substantial amounts of meth in their system. The testing showed that these weren't just tiny trace amounts. The levels were extremely alarming. Experts report that for the two-year-old to have this amount, he would have had to ingest the drug. This also means that they were exposed to the drug within the last three months. That is beyond disturbing. It makes you wonder if that could have been
1: what happened to Oakley.
0: Yeah, like this child could have died from ingesting this drug. It's a very good possibility that the same happened to Oakley, and maybe Jordan and Andrew tried to cover it up. But in February of 2022, the Hiles filed a complaint on behalf of Oakley with the Department of Children, Youth, and Families. This pushed for an immediate review of Oakley's case from an outside agency that oversees child-serving agencies. But on September 9th, 2022, a report was released clearing DCYF of any wrongdoing in their handling of Oakley's case. If you're at a complete loss for words at this point, you're not alone. I can't even begin to express how much this angers me. This little girl had a perfect life with the Hiles and they ripped her from them because they were so focused on reunifying her with her drug-addict, abusive, biological parents. Sometimes reunifying a child is not in their best interest. Oakley's case is a perfect unfortunate example. But I digress. On March 14th, Andrew pled guilty to the two counts of endangerment with a controlled substance. Two weeks later, his sentencing hearing was held. At this hearing, he was asked if he had anything to say. Andrew told the court, quote, I deeply regret my failings as a father. I haven't done a lot of things correctly in the last seven years or so, unquote. But he did not tell anyone what happened to Oakley or where she was. Andrew was sentenced to only 12 months in jail for this charge because of not having a previous arrest record. The domestic violence charge was dropped, so technically he did have a clean record. Jordan then had her court date on April 8th of 2022 for those same charges. She also pled guilty. Two weeks later, her sentencing hearing was held. The judge decided to charge her with a 20-month sentence due to her previous criminal history. Her criminal history included a hit-and-run charge, disorderly conduct, a DUI, fraudulent use of a credit card, and theft. Jamie and Eric Hiles continue fighting for justice for Oakley. They continue to reach out to media outlets and hold fundraisers to raise money for Oakley's reward fund. In 2022, they raised almost $50,000. On August 3rd of 2022, Andrew was released from jail after only serving nine months of his 12-month sentence. When he was released, he was court-ordered to complete a chemical dependency program and come up with a treatment plan before September 12th but on September 12th, Andrew was a no-show to his chemical dependency review hearing. Are you surprised? The judge issued a bench warrant, but when Andrew showed up to the courthouse, it was voided and another hearing was scheduled. When he came to this one a few weeks later, he gave the judge paperwork that he completed a treatment program in August, but still never completed an evaluation or came up with a treatment plan. The judge ordered him to do this within a week. After this, it's reported that Andrew is in compliance with the judge's orders and is basically walking around scot-free today. In January of 2023, Jordan was released from jail, but was immediately re-arrested. Arrest warrants had been issued for three counts of first-degree identity theft and one count of second-degree identity theft. Detectives literally arrested her upon her release from prison, and she was booked into Grays Harbor County Jail. Jordan and Andrew are still suspects in Oakley's disappearance and investigators are still gathering any evidence they can to hopefully bring forth charges. They ask that anyone who saw Oakley in 2021 to come forward with any information they may have, big or small. They're hoping to fill in the gaps of Oakley's whereabouts between February 10, 2021, when DCYF last saw her, and the house fire on November 6, 2021. In February of 2021, Oakley was a 4-year-old girl about 3 feet tall and 50 pounds. She had brown hair and brown eyes. As of January 15, 2023, there's an $85,000 reward for any information that leads to Oakley. An age progress photo of Oakley of what she may look like today has been done. We will post it on our social media. There's many theories of what could have happened to Oakley. Some people think she may still be alive and that Jordan and Andrew sold her, like an illegal underground adoption. People believe this because of the report of none of her belongings being in the home, almost like they were packed up and went with her wherever she may be. I don't believe this
1: at all. I think that that's way overstated that these parents sell their kids. I know that it does happen in some places in this world, but I think it's very, very rare. And in this case, I think there's many other possibilities that make much more sense.
0: Yeah, me too. Another theory is that she was exposed to drugs like her siblings, and this possibly resulted in an overdose that Jordan and Andrew covered up. Yeah, that I can get behind. And another theory is that she was targeted for abuse in the household and that abuse and neglect led to her death. I think that's the one I more lean towards.
1: Definitely. With what the other family members had said about her looking more tired and unwell, I think that's probably the most likely thing. Sad. And how her brother said they were starving her. Exactly. Exactly. Maybe he just never said anything until somebody questioned him because I'm surprised he wouldn't go and tell the other biological parent that and they wouldn't have reported
0: it, but who knows. But dead or alive, one thing I think we can all agree on is that Oakley's disappearance could have been prevented. DCYF dropped the ball by reuniting Oakley with her biological parents after all the reports they were receiving about the couple. They were in no place to raise a child, never mind multiple. DCYF has never commented publicly on Oakley's case. Jamie Jo Hiles reported on the website Justice for Oakley, quote, Oakley was someone who did not know a stranger. She always had a smile on her face and she was kind. She loved to make people laugh, so when she knew how to make you smile, she would always remember and try to do it again, unquote. She said Oakley loved to read and be read to. They made the most of their short, two-ish years together, full of family trips, dance parties, and pure, unconditional love. We're going to end this episode by reading part of a letter Jamie Hiles wrote to Oakley, which you can find on the Justice for Oakley website, if you want to read the entire thing. It reads, I know that I didn't give birth to you, but I wish I
1: did. You were everything I'd ever dreamed of having in a child. Daddy and I wished and waited so long for a baby. And even though that you came to us in an unconventional way, I loved you like you were my own biological child. I loved when strangers would tell us that we had the same smile, because it meant that people thought I could have even an ounce of your beauty. I will never forgive myself for not protecting you more when you went back to your biological parents. I thought I was doing everything by calling CPS and making reports to DCYF, but it didn't save you. And for that, I am so sorry. If I could mail this letter to you, I'd want you to know that you're making waves and that so many people are taking action. People in our little town, our state, and around the world know who you are and are thinking of you, praying for you and doing everything in their power to make sure that you're found and that this doesn't happen again. I knew that you'd be influential someday, I just wish it wasn't breaking our hearts in the process. Thank you for loving us, and I promise you that we will do everything we can to bring you justice and to protect your siblings. Lovingly, your mama. Ugh, that is so sad. I know. It makes like my eyes well up reading it. I had a hard time reading it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You can just tell she truly did love Oakley like she was her child. Oh, definitely. And that's not always common with foster families. No. Some of them just do it for the money they get, but they truly did love her and view her as their daughter. You could definitely see it. So anyone with information is asked to contact Detective Sergeant Paul Logan at 360-964-1729. Or you can call Crime Stoppers at 800-222-8477. You can also donate to the reward fund on their website, Justice for Oakley. I highly recommend anyone that has a few seconds to visit her page. It's full of a whole timeline of events of what happened to Oakley, pictures of them. They really set up a good website for her. So thank you for joining
1: us for this terrible case today. As we promised you, next week we'll be bringing you a case on a different subject besides children. So we hope to have you back next week for that. And I can promise you, it'll be another case that'll mess you up. But keep talking about these cases, keep these victims' names alive, and stay safe out there. For all the pictures related to this case, you can find us at Web of Wicked on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. And if you have a case you want us to cover, you can email us at webofwicked at gmail.com. And be sure to rate and review our podcast on any platform that you're listening on. It really helps us out a lot. Thanks for all your support. Until next Wednesday. Bye. Bye.